0: one that one walk that and one Walk that and one and one and one walk that and one Walk that and one and one and one walk that and one and To a joyful episode of the Grizzden Pod. Ty is here. Let's go, baby. Brantley is here. I'm here. And the Grizzlies are going to the playoffs. They're here. And Ja Morant is a stone-cold killer. We were contemplating driving straight to Silky's from our different locations last night to bring you what has now become a very famous post-game um, podcast. Uh, so famous. However, we are going to save that NSF, for... On that one. <laughs> we are going to save that for our uh, now two real-life playoff home games that we're going to have guaranteed, if not uh-huh. more. Um, Let's go. So... Guys, we had to take a night to. Uh, I don't know if about you, guys. Well, I I do know that you guys, same as me, couldn't couldn't quite wind down as quickly as uh, other nights. Um, but we decided to to uh, to process this for a night and then come to you today with our thoughts from the game as well as a a preview here at the end for the matchup to come against the Utah Jazz. So, um. Let, let's just start off the pod with this. Um, what was the most surprising part of the game last night to you guys? Most surprising.
1: surprising. I'll I'll go in a hurry. Um, it's kind of one big thing, but Jenkins sticking with Grayson and it working out. Yes playing Tillman over Jaron, and it worked out. Those are the two big ones to me, is Grayson. I mean, Jenkins has believed in that dude from the start, never wavered. And the fact that – I don't know if you all saw this post game, but they asked – I love Jenkins for this. We'll, we'll probably get on his negative stuff in a second. But they asked why he played Xavier over Jaren, and he said it was a gut thing. Let's go. That takes that takes guts in and of itself to play a second-round rookie over your future superstar, the current superstar. In a game like that, that was just huge. So I think that was super surprising that, A, he played them, and, B, they they came up big.
2: What about you, Brayley? I think uh... – Mine's a big thing as well. And that's just how well we did without JV. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, he's a big man. And he basically, I, I don't remember him having had such a terrible game all season. Uh, I, I mean, he just could never stick in, stay in rhythm. And I don't know if we would have ever really focused on him a ton. Like, man, JV is having an absolutely horrible game. And I think just because of how much he meant, in the Spurs and how he's just been this just consistent factor really hasn't to my recollection really had many games where he was just in massive foul trouble like he was Um, it just was it was abnormal and and then when he was in he just couldn't really get things going either um, and if you had told me I think that like J- we were sort of I think on our Instagram live before the game, well, I can't remember what I was rambling about with like point prediction stuff before. I think it was more about Wiggins maybe than it was about JV or anybody on the Grizz team. But regardless, if you had told me his stat line and then said, guess, guess the predict outcome of the game, I would have assumed that we got ro- roasted. Like I just wouldn't have thought that we would have been able to have hung in there based on what he, what he ended up with.
0: And to be fair, um, the two calls, his first two fouls were absolute BS. Um, so he had to get pulled early and he's a guy who obviously is a, um, his, I'll say durability from the, in the sense that he is one of the highest, uh, minutes per game player on our, on our team. Um, he, he, for a big man seems to, I mean, he, he always looks tired, but he doesn't <laughs> ever seem to get too tired to the point that it affects his performance. And I think rhythm in that respect, when you're expecting to play the, the the normal amount of minutes that you have been the whole season, you get used to, to getting, you know, having time to work out and work into a rhythm. And I think, you know, in his defense, it, it really is, is tough when you're taken out of that normal rotation. I'm sure he, he also wasn't playing, I'm sure mentally is free just because he knew that, there were these fouls that he had to avoid and wasn't able to be as aggressive. And so, I mean, he still led the team in rebounding in the game, even with only 26 minutes. So um, he had 12, I believe. But uh, yeah, that was, I agree with your point on if you had told me that before the game and and I got to see what his output was going to be, I would have agreed. I think to me, um, (laughs) the most surprising thing was a, a stat that I came across in, in unpacking this game, which was the Grizzlies had more steals than turnovers. Whoa. 14 steals and 13 turnovers. And this is a young team, and we've come to expect that turnover number to be a, a huge weakness. Um, and we know that they can play defense. I mean, they actually um, they lead the league if I'm not mistaken, in steals. They are. They lead the league in steals. So, you know, we're, we expect to get steals on that. And Kyle is huge in that respect. Dylan, um, too. And then our big men just have a, a way to to poke out um, different uh, drives. But to, to have your steals exceed turnovers, that's not a stat you see. How um, many blocks
1: so, did we have? Do you have that pulled up?
0: Um, I do not, but let me – we well, like had six blocks, hit. yeah, but Golden State had seven, so they actually led in that yeah, department. Yeah, six isn't
1: a ton, but that's I I'd say that's pretty standard. Yeah, but yeah, I, like I agree.
0: The I agree, though. Ty. like I I, I think the Grayson point is one that we should we should discuss because it it's takes crazy. it's crazy. It takes major faith because his defensive performance was still not great at all in the game. And like he was, he was a liability.
1: He was matched up against Wiggins most of the time, which Wiggins has like three inches on him at least like way more athletic. Grayson's pretty athletic, but Wiggins is, if he's anything, it's athletic. Um, yep. But back to your point, like Grayson showed out in the bubble. This is when all this started when like the lights were the brightest. He was there for it. Same thing last night. The dude is just like, talk about faith. Like, he has so much faith in himself. It's kind of crazy that he hadn't played consistent minutes in several weeks because of all these weird injuries he's had. And he comes in against the Spurs, and he was like a minus like 20 in like eight minutes, something just horrific. And he didn't play the second half. And Jenkins rolls with him. He plays every minute of the second quarter, I believe. And then down the stretch, when Bain had played great all night, Bain played a ton of minutes last night too. I think he played over 25 minutes. So Bane played. Got 29. Into, yeah, back to Melton. I think Melton played 10 minutes last night. Which yeah. we were talking about this before. The game last night is a lot of people are like, you gotta play Melton to kind of like guard Steph. And Jenkins was like, Nope, not gonna do that. It's just yeah, it was he stuck to his guns, and I just can't I can't believe it. It's crazy. You're right. We should <laughs> we should at least mention Grayson. Just no hesitation pulling those threes and they were like there was no question those were going in.
0: Yeah, two two major major plays in overtime which we're going to unpack overtime here. Okay, so we've talked about the most surprising parts of the game and we'll revisit those, but Ja Morant is here for the moment. And I think he was the um on a national stage Ja has proven that he'll step up. And when when, it, when our backs are against the wall, he's the guy that we're going to turn to. And so far, last year, um, without Jaron in the bubble against a Portland team, had a huge triple-double his career high, um, went toe-to-toe with Dame, and they were just a little bit better than us. And this year, I think there's an argument to be made that they were also, uh, the Warriors were a little bit better than us, and yet... Um, had the two floaters down the stretch. But for me, I think the the uh, biggest swing of the game was his three-point shooting. He went five for ten um, from three, and on four of those, he wasn't... I mean, he had all the space in the world because of the way the Warriors played him last game. They went out and did the same thing, which as a coach, as Steve Kerr, I would probably do the same thing, and yet him hitting those shots were, to me, the reason why um, they were able to run. Or, excuse me, they were able to win. Um, what did y'all think about Josh's performance? What stuck out?
2: I mean, the three-point shooting, that is, is uh, I don't, I mean, that's the thing that we've been saying. We just really have been needing to see from him, you know, and I think that there were definitely some national, there's some inna- different national attention just looking at his holistic average, for the season again, even last night, which I think for us as fans, we, we know that Ja has been improving throughout the season. And I think that, I think the stat that I saw that Nate Duncan tweeted was something like since March, he's shooting like 30, close to 39%, which, you know, is a right around, I think where he was at last year and felt fine. It didn't feel great, but it didn't feel horrible, which the beginning of the year, I mean, the dude, like it, you, there was no chance any of his three pointers were going in um that 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 changed the game I, that was that the and the way that we guarded Steph um which we can talk about in a bit um like just that plan were to me the two big storylines for the entire game that just persisted throughout and that was and it, and it worked and he came out looking aggressive um, maybe aggressive is the wrong word, but just like knowing I'm stepping into threes, I'm not gonna hesitate. I know that I'm gonna catch and shoot. The game depends on it, and it worked, and it worked through the entire game. And honestly, like that, he we need that mentality the entire like the rest of his career.
0: What do you think, Ty? What stuck out about Jaws' game?
1: I think yeah, his aggression, but also. So the three-pointers were awesome, but down the stretch, like we played him, like Jenkins truly basically just put the ball in his hands and was like, all right, what you got? Our offense is up to you. Whether we score this possession is solely up to you. And to be a second-year point guard with just the entire weight of the offense on his shoulders, especially down the stretch, Like, I know Grayson hit those two shots. Who assisted those? There you go. Tillman's big shot in the corner. Who drove the paint, collapsed the defense? Of course, it was Ja. Who hit the two floaters down the stretch? Of course, it was Ja. So, to me, it's just like when it it really came to a point where we just had to have something. Like, we talk about to be successful in the NBA, to make, like, big runs in the playoffs, to be, like, a legit, like, really good team. You've got to have a guy. That you can just get the ball to and make something happen, like whether that's create for yourself or create for others, you gotta have it. You gotta have it. And Jaw last night had it, and even down the stretch, he, I mean, he made everything happen, um, and he was our just sole creator on offense, especially with JV struggling and foul trouble, fouled out, all that kind of stuff. Like it was all on him. I mean, I remember multiple times where Jaw dribbled up and either gave it up to like Kyle, and Kyle's awareness we need to yeah i would just shout out him too he played great but mm-hmm. kyle immediately like accepted the pass and then like told Jaw to come back and get it like immediately and he was like no no no, no. this is this is yours like this is your rock you go go handle business and he did i just thought that was great and they were collapsing on him i guess one Toscano anderson's their best defender i don't really know he didn't stand a chance but they were <laughs> their entire defensive coverage was like just get the ball out of Jaw's hands like because they were we kept trying to get, like, the switch on Steph, but every time we would get the switch, they were always looking to, like, either heads really quick as soon as Jaw went in the paint. He was, like, spinning away from it. It was just, like, he was out of control. If he plays like that, like, we're not, I don't think we're going to beat Utah, but if, if we get that Jaw night to night, A, I think Jaw has to realize that, like, for us to be good and for us to make the playoffs, he has to be that all the time. There can't be another version of Jaw if we want to be this successful, right, if we want to be playoff-bound every year, if we want to, like, flirt around the eight seed, we can have the jaw that kind of floats in and out of game sometimes or not necessarily floats, but, like, looks to get others involved a lot and stuff like that. But if we want to be, like, legit, jaw has to be what he was last night. So I'm really curious to see what this – it's just going to be so fun to watch him in the playoffs. Because you're – I mean, he's, like – after he hit that floater, he was like running down the court, basically saying like I'm a mother effing dog." Like he like he gets so fired up. Um, mm. So I'm really excited to watch him, and I'm really curious. I, I'm guessing Royce O'Neal, which we'll get to this later, is going to guard him. Who's a really good defender. So again, it's going to be a lot of it's going to be on Ja this next uh, next series too. But I can't wait yeah. to see how he responds.
0: Yeah, one what of the... him last night? There for sure, for sure. Um, Brantley and I went live before the game to preview it and we had two major keys. And one of the keys was that we needed jaw to come out and actually be aggressive on offense, which he came out and did that. The other was that, um, we believed that John ja JV, were going to get their numbers and that it was going to come down to who was going to step up as the third guy. And we said, Jaron, um, was that guy for us right now what we we were correct in the theory of the third person being the difference however what we didn't expect was that to be uh Tillman and really a combination of Tillman and Bain because they combined for 21 points off the bench and um compared to the third banana on the Warriors which You could argue it's either Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole, both of which had okay shooting nights, but you could tell um, Wiggins definitely down the stretch hurt them more than he helped them, Mm. and uh, Poole is just not quite good enough yet on defense to make a huge impact, Um, although he's hurt on the offensive end. One number I wanted to shout out was on Sunday against the Warriors, the bench had 14 total points. Wow. Last night against the Warriors, the bench had, let me do some quick math, make sure I am saying this right, 40 points. 40 points versus 14. Uh, Grayson Allen, 4 for 5 from 3, had 12. Desmond Bain had 10. Tillman had 11. Melton came in, hit one of two threes for five points, and then Tyus had, only played seven minutes, but had a, a bucket, so... I mean, that's a huge, huge swing for us. The fact that guys can come in off the bench and uh, produce, especially on a night when Jaron Jackson only plays 15 minutes, which that's that might be where we want to go next, is... I mean, Jaron... There's a little bit of a concern because I think Golden State was a bad matchup. He had to move around all these different switches. They move the ball around, created mismatches, and he was forced to be chasing a lot of the time, which leads to bad fouls. And he tonight, or last night, was no different. So, I mean, what did y'all think uh, about the Jaron situation? Um, was it entirely something on him? Was it the matchup? Uh, did you agree with the decision? Obviously we won, but I mean, what what do we think right now about the status of Jaron?
2: I think he's just in a in a difficult spot. I mean, he was barely even getting his legs underneath him. I sort of feel like, and then it's it's sort of like playoff basketball the last week of the season, <clears throat> and uh, you know, I know he's playing. It was more than just the last week, but it's just hard to even like maybe judge anything as, uh, like and, and take have any major takeaways at least that's sort of how I'm trying to temper my um, like as I'm watching him like any type of long-term impact I do sort of think that there could be some easier ways that we set him up for success early on um, that I'd be curious to see you know as we move into this future series Um just maybe some easier buckets, getting him in the rhythm, finding him maybe in a little bit easier of a spot up type scenario, um, which we did a little bit last night. And he just, he had a, he had like two good looks and they looked, and they looked fine. But then he had a couple looks that I, it just didn't even draw the rim. It looked, it looked horrible. And I'd also, I'd sort of just, I was sitting back sort of wondering like, man, I wonder if like there's some sort of way that maybe I was wondering if this could happen in the second half and it, it just didn't, go this way where we sub him out early maybe with, with the starters to then move him back in to be with the bench unit, like still starting him and getting some minutes with the core, but then letting him maybe be one of the primary, um, you know, threats with, with the bench scoring unit, just to like sort of see what would happen and, and let him, you know, take advantage of maybe some, some weaker defenders and some, some weaker team basketball, just to get some confidence and momentum underneath him. Cause it just sort of feels like he's, I mean, just from a personality perspective, or just like a chemistry perspective, it'd be really hard to like come in with two, two to three weeks left in a team that's making the playoffs and just step in and jump right into being the number two guy. That just doesn't feel right from a human perspective, and it sort of just feels like he's trying to do whatever he can to make an impact, which I appreciate. But we sort of, you know, we know long term we need we need more of him. So that's sort of my. And I think that sort of played out a little bit last night, too, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it's tough for him because we're so established in how we want our offense to be, which is like – usually it's either Ja or Jonas kind of doing one of the two things. So, June's really good in the post, um, but we just can't have him down there because Jonas is down there and Jonas can't do anything else, right? Jonas is going to live on the block at all times. So Jaren's kind of like limited to an offensive role of just like floating on the perimeter and waiting to either get it and shoot the three or take someone off the dribble. Uh, But there was a lot of times like last year, like we would get in the flow of an offense of like he would do an early seal or something and we would throw it down to him and he would get it. Like he's really good with his left hand around the block and stuff like that. With those opportunities just aren't really there as much anymore. Um which is fine, right? I think that's the greatness of Jaron is he can do a lot of, you know, he can do multiple things on offense. But I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing is he's only played like 10 games this year. Um, A lot of his recovery was apparently rehab, which it wasn't a lot of basketball stuff. He was literally just trying to physically get back to where he needs to be to play. Um Defense, He's he can switch, which is awesome. He's all around the rim, which is great, which also leads to all the fouls. But I, I think it's fine. Like, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if in one of these games we look up and Jaron has, like, 20 points and he's hit four threes. Like, that wouldn't shock me by any means, right? Um, it also wouldn't shock me if he averages 18 minutes a night and then five fouls a night and at the most points <laughs> he gets all, all series is, like, 15. Um, I think he's just in a – like Brantley said, he's just in a really tough spot to come in and be like a focal point of our offense. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I saw someone say this on Twitter. I don't remember who it was, but for us to be at our absolute best, we need Jaron to play. So like the variance may be really high, like Jaron's lows are pretty low, but his highs are like really high. Right. So we have to play him. It's kind of like the Dylan argument that we made last year of like, listen, we got to have him on the floor. Because like he's kind of the best thing we have, like you know, like especially guarding the perimeter and stuff like that. Dylan's role is obviously switched. He's kind of turned into a different player, which is fascinating. Um, but Jaron is kind of on that point to me. It's like we got a plan. Like even if he's having kind of an off night, because like last night, if if Jaron is in the corner instead of Tillman and Jaw kicks it out, I bet Jaron makes that shot. Like he does that's I'm not one of those that I'm just like, oh no, not this guy. Like I would be of course that's going on. Right. But like yeah. I'm very confident in Jaron's ability. And so is he. Like he plays confident too. Like every time he gets on the floor, he's going hard and he's hustling. And yeah, to your point, he's doing basically whatever he can. So I mean I still have faith in him for sure.
0: One thing on Jaron, and then I think it we should discuss Dylan. Um The one thing I I, I wish I didn't see from jaron was when he gets his first foul in each game he has that kind of look on his face of just almost like it's his fifth and i'm like mm. all right man like this is obviously in your head and we talked about it last season he's he an was, emotional guy yeah he's a super He had it's it's just this look of despondence and i'm like all right man hey you're good you haven't gotten that fifth foul yet like this is your first foul in the flow of a game you're playing on the block against guys who i mean that's just natural you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna get every call um going your way and it's cool so i think that's what i'd like to see and i'm sure the coaches power
2: means two times uh, wow
0: (laughs) espn.com ad maybe um no, you but,
2: basically want him to remove his Andrew Harrison face. Is that what you're saying, Will? That's exactly <laughs> what
0: I'm saying. Um, yeah. but apart from that, I agree with you, Ty, on the variance aspect. It's just like I, he's got to play, but at the same time, I think that Taylor uh, proved last night that he could, he could sense what's right for the team. And yeah, um, to
1: Jaron's credit, like after the game, he like crashed on Tillman's like media availability. Yes. Like, the dude's attitude, like, I just think he's a great teammate. I think he's a great player. I just love him on our team. And he, like, he does kind of, like, hang his head. But, like, it's all for, like, himself. Like, he's almost disappointed in himself. Yeah. He's never, like, frustrated that he's not in there. Like, he was jumping up and down on the bench last night. Like I said, crashed Tillman's media availability after the game, sent out this, like, video to thank all the fans and was like, we're coming back, we're coming home soon.
0: That was great. You're, you're exactly right about that, um, which is uh, uh, just the exact reaction that you would want from yeah. your guy who didn't play well. But uh, moving on real quick to Dylan. I mean, Jenkins did what a lot of we were saying it, a lot of people were saying it, match minute for minute with stuff. I think there was only two minutes that Dylan wasn't on stuff when Steph was in uh, throughout the whole game. I thought that um, – He, I mean, Steph had got his, but it didn't feel like it in the same respect. It felt like he was having to work. They both Um, looked
1: dead at the end of the game. They did. Steph tried to cut and he would just run, but, and Dylan was like trying to trail. They were both just like exhausted. Like neither one of them could move.
0: Yeah. Which is current to
1: Dylan because if it wasn't for Dylan, Steph would probably be curling off screens like crazy. So,
0: and, and Dylan also on the offensive end went seven for 22, which there were to me thinking back on it, there were only two shots maybe that weren't in the flow where I was like, all right, Dylan, come on. But it didn't really feel like it was a net negative at all because of all that he was working his ass off at the other end. And so you almost didn't care, um, about that, which usually we do, but I mean, it didn't seem to disrupt the game. Um, if anything, we were like, all right, Dylan. Yeah. Like stay aggressive. Um, yeah. I just thought he he played a spectacular game. Um on, on stuff and and obviously it was enough to get get the win. So
2: Well, and I I just think Ty hinted at this. We've seen I'm um, hesitant to say this, especially based on, you know, my Silky's NSFW um comments. <laughs> but I just I is it is it, is it possible that that sort of these playoff moments help has helped Dylan sort of see like what his true role and impact can be. And, um, and he's accepting it a little bit more. And what I mean is that like his um, control on the offensive side, what he can lift and influence on the defensive side of the ball has such a monumental impact on the team. And, you know, it's just a different, role than what we need from John for instance but it's just as important maybe more important like to have a guy who you know you can put on someone like Steph and take a game plan that was really clear and I think ESPN sort of touched on this a little bit but they didn't really I was sort of surprised that Van Gundy didn't hit on this more like we just had this I don't know if y'all y'all. I'm sure y'all noticed it. we didn't text about it but the the, the game plan was to to obviously shade Steph towards the paint all the time. So anytime Dylan was denying him, he wasn't playing straight up on him. He was always one step towards, um, you know, the other, like our basket, for instance, to, or, or away from the basket to force Steph to have to catch the ball going towards the basket funneling in. And then we had, we always had some sort of weak side defender being prepared there um, to, to step in and force him to either throw, kick it to someone else um, or try to 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 hit a really tough um, bucket um, from a layup perspective, and that's how you saw a lot of like great highlight blocks, right? There's the one that Kyle Anderson had in the first half comes to mind, and um, that was the game plan up until really the final like two minutes of overtime, or or, or I'm sorry, of the regular half of the fir- of the second half, I think when we started really double-teaming a lot, and I thought they started getting different types of easy buckets, and I didn't necessarily love what was happening. We were double-teaming Steph, even though that might have been the right strategy. All that to say, like, that was the clear game plan. Dylan, I don't really remember. I only really remember, like, two possessions where he messed up on defense with that a a couple times. And I think one or two of them was just exhaustion, and I think one of them might have been, it looked like maybe we switched up and Melton was in the game or Grayson was in the game. And I think they miscommunicated on a switch and he had clearly switched when Grayson and Melton looked like that they weren't switching. And, and that sort of, I don't know whose fault that was, um, but it almost seems so obvious that it was happening that I kind of want to give Dylan the benefit of the doubt in those situations. And so just to take that game plan and execute it so well, to your point, the his seven for 22, I was even surprised to hear that number. Because there weren't really any out of control Dylan shots. I'm okay with him having a bad shooting night if he's shooting in the flow of the game. Like that's what we need from that position, shoot. Um, But if he it's his sort of like crazy stuff that has just driven Grizzlies fans crazy, and to see him not do that in these playoff moments is is amazing and should be championed.
0: I think. One theory here about this, because you're right on the point in which his role is becoming so clear. Um, And I think it's becoming clear to him. And during the season, it wasn't. He was almost in there as like, "Are are you the defense guy or are you the offense guy? And I think that can get, some wires can get crossed there. I think having him as a guy who only has to think about one thing through the game, on, and that's on the defensive end allows him not to have to think on the offensive end and not to have to consider the, the, the maybe task in front of him. And it helps that we're hitting shots where he doesn't feel like he has to step up on that end. But I think just having like against the Utah, uh, this Utah team, which we'll get to soon. I mean, having him as the Mitchell stopper is going to work the same way as the Steph stopper right. I mean, they have a very similar game. Um, and he's big enough to be able to hang, and and I think that's the the, the quickness defined with combined with that size is what allows him to uh, be so effective on these guys, and the fact that he doesn't care, he doesn't think any of them are better than him, um, and so he played a great game. Um, before we before we uh, move on to Utah, I kind of wanted to do a quick notebook dump on just a lot of things that I wrote down. Um, We talked about more steals than turnovers. Um, Just shooting from three, uh, just to round this out, Grayson four for five, just massive. Ja, five for ten. Tillman went two for three. JV went one for one, and Melton went one for two. When we're shooting that well from three, it's going to be really hard to beat us. Jaron, only 14 minutes. We talked about that. I thought this was interesting. Against San Antonio, which we talked about that game being in the mud, we only had seven made threes the entire game. Against Golden State, we had nine in the first half. I mean, huge difference. We had 15 total. Um, Jonas's third field goal of the game was with three minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Think about that. It's nuts. Nuts. It's nuts. Free throws. It's been our Achilles heel. We went 22 for 26 in this game, shooting 85%. And I didn't realize how high that percentage was until I, at the end of the game, I think we hit two at some point late in the game. To I think Kyle hit both. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder what we're shooting. And I went and looked and I was like, this is why I haven't noticed. is because we've been shooting well, which we should. Um, and then uh, I thought this was also interesting. Memphis shot only 40% from two and were one for 12 from mid-range. Almost all of our points came from either right at the rim or three-point range, and then finally, uh, the Grizzlies are the youngest team to make the playoffs in ten years. Do y'all know the youngest team going back to Oklahoma?
2: Years? Oklahoma City with KD, Russ, and Harden. That's correct.
0: Pretty cool stat. Um, I also had some highlights here just the I, I was just thinking about the moments um number one for me in the game is Jaws floaters to clinch i mean just unbelievable number two tillman's corner three i just don't i mean at that the time awesome. when he when he had that three uh jordan pool with under two minutes to play had just hit a three to put golden state to up two and the shot clock was running down Josh came into the lane, didn't look like he had anything else, any other options. He's he's almost about to hit the ground after jumping up and, and like coming back down to earth and somehow sees Tillman in the corner at the last second. And Tillman, it was so funny because if you watch the highlight back, the, the ball goes above where the camera is. <laughs> so for a split second, you're like, what? <laughs> where is it? And then it splashes. And it's just, I mean, that to me was like the second best moment. Third... Um, a an un- unheralded moment I think is is at the very end of regulation when we had when Tillman came in with with two minutes left, mind you. Uh, Steph had the ball; he was double teamed outside uh, on the uh, free throw line, extended side of the three uh, behind the three point line. Uh, three seconds left, swung it to Draymond, who had a wide open lane, and Draymond is known as one of the best decision makers in the league drove down and Tillman rotated over from the block and contested his shot without fouling, which then sent it into overtime. I thought just unbelievable defense. Um, just a few more uh, jaw with about four minutes left in the second quarter. He had one of the, the dirtiest highlights that I can remember seeing from him where he was down on the block. Uh, Tillman was on the other side, uh, Steph and Draymond had a double team on Ja. He faked one pass to Tillman uh, on the outside, then went around Draymond's body, faked another pass. Steph and Draymond both looked, and then he just scooped it up and was wide open. It was just nasty. Uh, One of the most underrated moments was when Jaw was taking out the ball underneath our basket, and, and they had a set play for Dylan to cut across the lane and get a quick layup but Ja had this pass with his left arm that he just swung around whoever was guarding him and just put it perfectly right underneath the basket to where Dylan was already jumping and could catch it and just go straight up. And it was like a moment where you have to be elite-level basketball IQ to know exactly where to put that ball and also have the skills to do it. Um, And then finally, just the the, the Jordan Poole three – at the very end of regulation to get it within two, or at the end of overtime to get it within two. I mean, we thought we knew we had the game, but at the same time, we're conditioned to believe that what could go wrong will go wrong. And Poole hitting that three uh, with two seconds left and then us having to take the ball out and Kyle throwing it into a cutting Bane, who was definitely like the fourth option on the play, and then having the dunk and one just with two seconds left in overtime to clinch it. I just thought that was just an incredible moment. Um, and, and that's all to say... Like Bane and Tillman to me, apart from Ja, were the obvious MVPs. And I put this in a tweet earlier today. Just my number one, one of my number one takeaways from the from the Grizzlies Warriors game last night was Bane and Tillman are 22 years old, which is just an atypical age of players that NBA front offices draft now. And I think that experience. Uh, yeah. Has proven to be invaluable with our young core, and the fact that you can put them in a playoff game, in in that situation and trust them, uh, is just kudos to them. So, I just wanted to, to to share all that because, man, it was just a wild game with so much going on, and it's hard to. I mean, we could unpack each of those and probably spend five minutes on each, but I just I just want to share. Um, any final yeah, thoughts like, before
2: we move on? What a guests? fun game! I mean, just like how like. That was so much like this little run, regardless of like what happens, you know, we've been here before as the franchise. Like I think all of us in recent memory who've been Grizz fans can remember like when, as an eight seed, we've, we've upset the one, but like, and like, it's going to be fun and competitive regardless. There's more basketball in Memphis. Like for those of you that haven't been to a game this year, buy a freaking ticket and go to the game, go to a playoff game, go to Beale street do the things experience this moment. Cause it, there is nothing better than living in Memphis and experiencing playoff basketball. It's like top of all things of living in the city. And like, we're and like, we had to go through this gauntlet to get here and we're here. And man, I just like, what a fun, like just, thing to see this team like growing up in front of us, and they're getting to also give us some really sweet things to experience, which is all of us can, can do and cherish.
0: We're playing with house money. That's the best part of this whole thing. We weren't supposed to be here, and we're here. And we have a team yeah. that can compete. Um, Alright, let's move on real quick. Let's talk about the Jazz. Um, Ty, we'll start with you. What is, like, the first thing on your mind moving on from this playing tournament, we have a at least four games against a jazz team, which is the number one seed. They've been playing really well all season. What's kind of the first thing when you when you mentally move on from this emotional high of the play and win to this next matchup?
1: Hmm. Uh, so when I think of the jazz, I think it's shooting. First thing I think of within um They were like top three in the league, I think, in three-point shooting. I think they led in attempts maybe really high up there. They have shooters all over the floor except for Gobert. But Gobert does so much because he just – you have to collapse when he rolls. I think it's going to be really important that we can stop any – like our one-on-one defense has to be really good. We can't give up penetration. And then we kind of have to like close out really hard on the three because if we get in a three-point shooting contest with them, it's not going to end well um that's how they beat us in the regular season they were like unconscious from three pretty much every time they beat us um and i think we kind of have to continue to like attack the paint even though gobert is this glorious rim protector i think one-on-one defense is not his strong suit it's been mentioned a few times before i honestly think Jonas can have a pretty good series against him um like one-on-one and i honestly think like the bigger the defender is, the more jog, ja, like the more excited Jaw gets. Uh, he's definitely not gonna like not go in the lane. He's gonna attack, go left and right like all night. And if he gets his shot blocked, he clearly doesn't care. He's gonna come right back at you. First thing that jumps, yeah. The first thing though is, is just shooting. We gotta limit their three point shooting to have a chance. Because if they're hitting fifteen, eighteen threes a night, like we're we're not gonna win those games um, unless they're taking like fifty. You know. Um, so we got to hold them to a decent percentage to have a chance.
0: Just to add on that before we get to you, Brantley, uh, Jazz first in three-point attempts in the league. At forty-nine percent of their shots are from three, uh, and Crazy. as a com- as a comparison, the Grizzlies are twenty-third. So thirty-one percent of Grizzlies' shots are from three.
2: Yeah, and it's just not one guy, right? I mean, oh, no. when you look at when you look at their per-season breakdown, I mean it's. Mitchell, Clarkson, Boyan, Conley, Ingles, Roy. It's like all of them are guys that are going to feel comfortable shooting the three. So it's going to be an interesting, if you think about the teams that we've played recently, like between really just, we'll just say the most recent games where it's Golden State, San Antonio, Golden State. You know, with Golden State, it was really just like one or two people you sort of had to worry about from the three versus now we got to worry about almost everybody. It is going to be a, a, a mental switch on the defensive side of the ball, I think, for, um, you know, for this team. So I'll be really interested to see how we handle that. But but the thing is, is that when you sort of are just, like, looking at, like, what their breakdown is and you've heard some of the stories of this team, you know, like Jordan Clarkson, for instance, he's their second leading scorer. So, and he comes off the bench for them, and he's had an unbelievable season. Um, six men of the year candidate right so that is what you're up against where the whole like bench narrative thing where we've i think always wondered okay if we were to make a playoff series how could our bench fare in a seven game um rotation could we try this 10man thing or not you know you've heard me belabor that point the jazz are one that all that also have sort of a deep bench they have eight they have solid eight guys that they use. Um, and I would imagine that those eight to nine are who are also going to get playing time as well. And so, um, like we're going to still need people like Grayson and Melton to really step up and have significant, um, contribution, um, or if they don't in one game, then that's going to sort of be you know, where we fall off, I think, just based on what's happening with them. I will say the optimistic side of me says this, is that it's not a – we were talking about this before the pod, but Donovan Mitchell, their leading scorer, hasn't played since the 16th of April. That's a long time ago. What is that, like 16 games, Will, I think you were saying before or something like 16 that? 16 games, yep. Like. That's no small thing. We're seeing that with Triple J. I mean, it's obviously like double the amount. Triple J, maybe even triple, honestly. But, like, and he's a fantastic player, so they're going to probably be able to snap back into reality sort of quickly, but maybe not. And maybe that's, if he does start game one, they may be knocking off some rust, and we might be able to steal one on the road. And if you steal one on the road in the first two games, all of a sudden you're coming back to Memphis, and this this place is going to be lit. Like, the house is going to be what it is. It's supposed to be, which is a, a home court advantage. And I don't know, like that, that really, I'm not just walking into this, just thinking like, man, the, they're the number one seed and they're unstoppable. It's like, man, they've, they've got an injury. They're you know, Tony Parker or whatever. If you want to come, if you want to make him their Tony Parker, if we sort of compare the jazz to like old school Spurs teams, whether he's Manu or Parker, I don't really know. Like he, he hadn't played in a while. And it may take it may take a bit, and we might have to take advantage of it.
0: Not <laughs> only that, Conley has also had a hamstring issue in this. Yeah, great point. Last month of the season, and so those are their two lead guards. Um, and what you referenced earlier, they do have a primary seven man rotation. So you'll, you'll start Mitchell, Gobert, Conley, Bogdanovich, and O'Neal, and then Ingles and Clarkson are uh, essentially, I mean, starter minutes. And then their secondary guys, Favors and Georgie Nang. You know, Nang is an incredible three-point shooter. Favors is a solid veteran who's going to be there. He's going to be playing their, like, Tillman role on this team. Um, So I agree with you. I mean, it's almost from all sides. And I'll run through a few comparisons that I looked up between the Jazz and the Grizzlies. In terms of net rating, and if you're not sure what net rating is, that basically says – Average offense minus – or basically points scored on average in a game throughout the season minus points allowed in a game throughout the season. What's the net of that? So a positive net rating means you're scoring more than you're allowing. Um, The Utah Jazz are first in the league at at a 9.0 net rating. And just to put that in perspective, that's in the top 15 all time in any season in NBA history. This team does it on both ends. And they have the best defender in the league in Rudy Gobert. And on the offensive end, as we said, they they are a legitimate three-point threat throughout the entire game and from any of their guys, essentially. Um, they play just a complete game. Memphis is 14th in the league in net rating, so that's at one2 Um the Jazz are also third in opponent three-point attempts, which means that they are they don't allow very many three-point attempts. They guard the three-point line really well. The Grizzlies are 18th in that respect. so pretty average. Um, the Jazz are also first in rebounding in the league, and they're third in offensive rebounders percentage. The Grizz, however, are fourth in the league in rebounding and are sixth in offensive reba- rebounding percentage. These are two teams that rebound incredibly well so expect Jonas and Gobert to just have a knockout drag out time down there on the block trying to get rebounds I could see them both um almost canceling each other out in that respect and it's going to be up to some of the guys um whether it's power forward small forwards crashing the boards and and taking advantage of some of that canceling out um this is a, a, a on the Grizzlies' advantage side, we're first in steals, as I mentioned earlier. The Jazz are only 29th in steals. Um, you could interpret that a few ways. You could say that they play a conservative brand of defense. Um, but you could also say, you know, the Grizzlies, that's just where they have an advantage. And so um, that would be something to watch. In terms of pace, the Grizzlies are 8th in the league and Utah is 16th. Playoff basketball slows down. It's a half-court game, so um, if the Grizzlies can force those steals and and make this a a an up and down game, I think that favors the Grizzlies. However, it's a half-court. Probably Utah has the edge in terms of turnovers. Grizzlies are sixth in the league in turnover percentage. Means whatever percentage of possessions in the game that you turn it over, Grizzlies unfortunately have a high percentage. Utah pretty takes care of the ball. They're 19th. And then the final thing, Utah is thirty-one at five and five at home, so they take care of their home court. However, they're twenty-one and fifteen away, so that's that's not a great. Uh, I mean, away you want to be a, an above-average away record is still good, but that to me shows some real vulnerability, and it shows that we're eighteen and eighteen at home, and actually twenty and sixteen on the road, which I thought was interesting. Um, so. It's, it's interesting going into this game, like you said, Brantley, because it's it's not a team that you feel threatened by this one superstar where you know they have the best player in the game. Like, John Morant could very well be the best player on the floor. It's just a matter of the supporting cast on each team. And uh, coaching-wise, Quinn Snyder, I mean, he's unbelievable. He and Jenkins actually coached together um, at a, a couple stops, so um, they they... They probably have enough of a history to, to know what the other's tendencies are going to be. Um, so that'll be pretty intriguing. I'd probably give the slight edge to Snyder there, but, um, anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating series. Um, and a high variance, I think, because in our three games that we played them, two of them were actually within four and one of them, they, they shot real well and ran us out. Um, but we played them pretty close. It wasn't. It wasn't a a, um, a beat down each time. That's so. right.
2: I <clears throat> uh, just pulled this up on Twitter. I don't know if y'all have seen this, but Bryce Hayes uh, just tweeted that that the Grizzlies um, by winning last night get an extra earned uniform next season for making the playoffs. So in addition to what you know the standard things, we can look forward to having an additional jersey in the rotation. So just. submit that to you all as a as a fun thing to look forward to
1: oh one other thing i want to mention so a lot of people kind of talk about how like you got to be in the lottery to get a really good draft pick so i've been looking at a few random mock drafts and there are like several mock drafts that have a like pre-college season lottery pick like falling either to us or behind us so don't count out just by the fact that we made the playoffs expect like some like crappy draft pick we have a chance to also get like a really like Moses Moody in one draft was falling to us Zaire Williams was another guy that was like a preseason like top 8 pick he's now projected to go after the lottery that was another thing I wanted to throw out cuz i i think a lot of grizzlies fans were like oh we made the playoffs and so now we're not going to get a good pick don't necessarily think that either
0: also, just I mean, look at the two guys anyway, you just drafted last year. 30th was and the 30th, 30th, I think, or something. Yeah, and Tillman was a second rounder. Guys, our front <sighs> office knows what they're doing. If no. anything, I think they prefer to be back there because they can take advantage of the value and play the odds and also not have a bunch of uh, a liability on their books in terms of cost. Um, going through the game schedule, first game, Sunday night, p.m. TNT. Guys, listen. Next week, at work, plan on being tired. We're going to be staying up. And it's going to be worth it. Game 2, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. on TNT. Game 3, next Saturday, 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. Game 4 is the following Monday. So Saturday and Monday are going to be our home games. Both at 8.30. And then, if needed... Um, if we don't sweep the jazz game, five is going to be the following Wednesday and then Friday and then Sunday after that. So, uh, we'll be, we'll be with you after each and every one of these games. We'll probably end up doing some lives to preview them. Um, if, if, if there's been a really fun first half might even jump on at halftime, you can expect, um, some great content coming from the Grizzden pod Shout out to everyone who bought a T-shirt in this promotional period that we had in the last week. Um, You're getting full refunds. And just to everybody else out there, um, I don't know. I mean, we first of all, shame on you. Second of all, we'll see what our promotion is going to be during the playoffs. We might come up with something. Um, But all I'm saying is, the t-shirt game is going to be stepping up during this playoff stretch. Okay. We got some ideas. The shirts we already have on the website. I mean, you're just going to, you're just going to want to collect them all. Okay. (laughs) So, so get on grizzgame.com. Catch up with everyone else. Um, If you didn't buy a shirt, you're behind. And uh, we look forward to, we look forward to your order. Um, So, Last thoughts, guys. We have just a few minutes left. Um, predictions. Let's go predictions for the Jazz series.
1: Uh, I'm gonna try to be as like realistic as possible. I think mean, don't we take them to six, but I think they beat us in six.
2: Um. We're gonna beat him in seven. Hey, <laughs> let's go, dude. I'm uh. serious. I I I, legit, I was thinking about this driving. I knew you're gonna have to. We were asking these questions. I like. I think injuries matter, man. Right now, we're healthy. Uh, I like a hamstring is no big deal. They really need they for them to be what they are. They took this step because Conley was taking that step, and we know what Conley can do. And if he's got a nagging injury, I think it could potentially impact him some. And I, I, I don't know. I, I maybe Donovan's gonna be perfect. I just couldn't imagine him just looking a ama- mate. I mean, hell, LeBron doesn't look just a hundred percent yet. Um, now he's had maybe a rougher injury, but dude, I think we steal it. Why not? Why not Memphis? We, I we I believe in Ja. I hope you're right. I want to be.
1: I want to be so wrong that. People call me dumb. I want to be called dumb.
0: So, on the preview of the Warriors game last night, Brantley, you predicted a narrow margin of victory for the Grizzlies, but a victory nonetheless.
1: Ride that high.
0: I predicted that the Grizzlies would not win, however they would cover. From a superstition standpoint, you're predicting the winner this time as well. I'm going to predict... Jazz and seven, that it's going to come down to the wire, but that the, the Grizzlies are going to quote unquote cover. And I'm hoping that putting this juju into the world will yield the <laughs> same result. So, Jazz and seven, and Let's I'm crossing go, my Grizz. fingers behind my back. All right, guys, this has been a celebration episode of the Grizz Den Pod. We are playing with house, money. We have. A young superstar. We have a team that's never been more confident. And I'm not scared of the Jazz, and neither are they. Heck no. So let's come out on Sunday night. Let's steal game one in Utah, take away home court advantage. Let's go. And let's get it done.
2: Come on, guys. baby. None of you, do y'all hear me? I, like, my voice right now is hoarse from the Spurs game and from last night. If you're a Grizz fan and you still have a voice, you there, you are not being loud enough. There is a problem. <laughs> Yell. Be loud. Wake your neighbors up.
0: If you have some accrued vacation from 2020, take it all this week. Take it all and celebrate. Love it. All right, guys. Grizzden.com for the swag that you need for the playoffs. Uh, for Ty... For Brantley, for John Morant, I'm Will. Thanks for joining the Grizzden Pod. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Let's go, Grizz.